Welcome back to the Early Way In Podcast. This week we'll be breaking down UFC Vegas 38, Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Go ahead and give a like to this video and subscribe if you, to the channel if you haven't already. Um, this week you are stuck with me. It's vacation time for the Early Way In Podcast, so I am taking over this week. And uh, finally got me wearing the casual cap on camera, not just the picture. Uh, if you, We'll go on to last week's card where we did end up going minus 0.17 units um, we put together an awesome parlay with jessica andrage and matthew semmelsberger who both ended up finishing in the first round and uh, we thought that it was going to be smooth sailing going into the blades versus rosenstroik fight uh, we got an excellent line on that fight doesn't go the distance and of course the heavyweights see the judges um, it's a fight card that i think both preston and myself are kind of kicking our selves in the butt for not going a little bit harder on because we both ended up having pretty successful nights uh you know personally but it is what it is we didn't overextend and again we're we're minimizing the losses by uh by not overextending that being said we have a absolute hammer this week already where we've released the nico price money line at, at minus 140 for four units um, the biggest bet that we've made since Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier in their first fight. So hopefully this one doesn't bite us in the ass either. We kick off the card with an interesting fight in the men's bantamweight division between Alejandro Perez and Johnny Eduardo. Between both these guys, I was a little bit surprised with the amount of experience they've had in the UFC. Um, on the Eduardo side, you know, he's been in the UFC for a decade, but only has seven fights. And then on the Alejandro Perez side, you know, he has 11 fights in the UFC and um, he's fought some some pretty legit guys. He has wins over guys like uh, Yuri Alcantara and Eddie Wineland. Uh, but he is currently riding an L2 right now between Song Yidong and Cody Stammen. I will say, though, he definitely had some some success against Cody Stammen. And in places that, might, that definitely surprised me, um, the single leg specifically, extremely explosive with that single leg takedown. He had a good inside leg kick, and you could just tell that his style, he, he uses a lot of explosion in his takedowns and his striking. And um, I could see this one being an absolute banger because you look at the Johnny Eduardo side, um, he has solid takedowns of uh, himself. He also has extremely explosive striking, heavy leg kicks, and he's really, really fast. Um, all that being said, he's 1-3 in his last four, and... You know, again, steep competition between Elijahmane Sterling and Nathaniel Wood, but 41 years old, I think his best years are behind him, and, and fighting once a year just isn't going to cut it, you know? I think the UFC is definitely thinking that this is uh, Perez's opportunity to get back on track, and this might be a situation where Eduardo is kind of fighting for his job here. I'm going to take Perez here, but I don't think that him being a 2-1 to -one favorite whenever, you know, he's shown that he's had he's got some holes in his game as well um is, is really justified here so i'm i'm gonna lay off this fight i think that there's a lot of better spots to bet um, but i will take perez in this spot our next fight takes place in women's bantamweight where we see shanna young who's seven and three taking on stephanie egger who's five and two shanna young she's fighting out of knoxville tennessee um, she's training out of knox martial arts academy her losses are to only legit girls. You know, you, you go down the list, Macy, Chason, Miranda Maverick, Sarah Alpar. Those three girls are all in the UFC. That being said, she's getting kind of dominated. I don't blame her too much in that Macy-Chason fight as it was short notice. Um, but in both the Sarah Alpar fight and the Miranda Maverick fight, um, she showed some 
some pretty bad holes in her in her grappling defense, and that's not something that you want to have against somebody like Stephanie Egger, who is a judo black belt. She's been doing that since she was five years old. Um, usually, Stephanie Egger looks to get it to the ground so that she can implement her game plan, and I think that she's going to look to do that again. She debuted against Cortez and looked pretty bad. I know Preston and I both were backing her in that fight, and uh, it did not look good. Cortez continued to get the better better of the scrambles, and uh, it was a little, you know, it, it's tough to back her right now. Um, she opened as the underdog, and we've now seen the money uh, nearly flip the line completely. She opened as a plus 130, and now she's a minus 120. I get it. Stylistically, I think that she's a problem for Shanna Young, who... Um, you know, usually goes to the ground in her fights and has shown grappling problems. I just can't trust that Stephanie Eggers' judo is going to translate. Um, I'm almost positive Cindy Dandois is like a judo black belt or has some similar credentials to Stephanie Egger, and it, it just doesn't translate. She's not strong enough or, or something, and Shanna's built like a tank. Um, I, I think that Shanna has the striking edge here, and as she creeps up into that underdog range, um, I'm more tempted to play her, although, again, a lot more uh, spots on this card that I like better than this fight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean young here. Um, it might be a little bit biased because I did get burned on Edgar last time, so take it for what it's worth. Our next fight takes place in the men's bantamweight division, where we see Douglas de Andrade taking on Gaetano Perello. This one is one of the fights that I've been texting Preston about all week. Um, I really like the under in this fight. It's sitting at plus money right now, and I, I think that the bookies are way off. You know, I believe that Andrade is kind of getting a bad rap because of his most recent fights, which have been extremely difficult. We're talking about guys like Rob Font, Marlon Vera, Piotr Jan, Lerone Murphy in his latest fight, and I think it's kind of robbing him or robbing the people of how explosive and powerful and uh, full of highlight reels Andrade actually is. You know, those are really tough guys to showcase your striking skills against. So, uh, and then Perello, you look at his side, man, you know, tough debut against Ricky Simone, I got to say. But you, you take a look at his regional scene, and this guy only knows go. You know, 20 of his 22 fights have either ended in him getting finished or him finishing somebody. And uh, I don't think it stops here. You know, I, I got to I gotta think that he's looking to make an impact here. And with Andrade, you know, I don't think that this fight is for, for pink slips for him. You know, I, I think the UFC understands that they've kind of given him the shit into the stick. But he's 36 years old and he's going to need he's going to need this fight right here. I, I don't expect either guy to be timid out there by any means. Perello the majority of his losses come by submission. And although Andrade doesn't have a, a ton of submissions, he is a Brazilian. And in that Lerone Murphy fight, while he was still fresh, he took Lerone Murphy's back in the first round. And you saw you saw that he still has it, you know, especially while they're fresh. Um, I think this fight ends in the first round, um, but I'm more than happy to take that under two and a half at plus money where it sits now. We got a great fight in the lightweight division up next between Jamie Malarkey and Devonta Smith. Jamie Malarkey is one of those guys that the early way in podcast likes to back. Um, this will not be that that type of week for him. Um, 
in his last fight against Kama Worthy, we definitely thought that Kama was the hype train uh, that he is, and Malarkey derailed that for sure. Um, we also took him in the Ferocium fight. I still to this day think he got robbed, and um, you know I'll, I'll probably hold to that. He's one of those guys that um, you know he gets beat up even when he wins. He he needs that takedown to kind of get his game going, and um, he, I say that even though he proved it proved otherwise in his last fight against Kama Worthy. But uh, traditionally, he would much rather get that fight to the ground for him to um, kind of implement his game plan. On the Devontae Smith side, um, we're kind of finally seeing him come back from that Achilles injury um, after that terrible upset loss to Kama Worthy, who kind of started this hype train. So full circle, we'll kind of get to see, in my opinion, Devontae Smith um, show that 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 was a fluke and that he's much better than that. Um, he's the way more athletic guy, way faster. Um, honestly, he's got 100% takedown defense, but in his five fights, he, he really hasn't had to use it at all. Um, I think that we could see a very similar finish to Devontae Smith's fight on the Contender Series where um, the guy was almost desperate for takedowns, and he kind of stayed uh, head to the side up against the fence on a takedown attempt for a little bit too long, and Devonta Smith was able to kind of utilize that um, that reach of his to, to throw the elbows and, and get the finish. I, I think that it'll go somewhat similar, same, uh, same way with the Johnny Walker versus Ryan Spann fight. I think it'll go somewhat similar to that. Um, Devonta Smith, much more athletic. I think he'll touch up Malarkey. Um, unless Malarkey you know, test Devontae Smith's takedowns, takedown defense like nobody else has and uh, proves that he has holes in there. I, I got to think that this is a relatively easy night for somebody like Devontae Smith. Our next fight is one that I do not plan on spending much time on. Um, it takes place in the women's bantamweight division between Carol Rosa and Betch Correa. Carol Rosa is one of those fighters who I do think has a future in the UFC. She's only 26 years old and you see every single fight she's making improvements in the areas that she needs to make them in, especially that striking realm. Um, Because the majority of the time if Carol Rose is winning, it's when she can implement her grappling. She does really, really well in those situations. And going on to to the Betch Correa side, her last fight with Panny Kienza kind of did it in for me, man. You know, I I haven't always been a huge Betch Correa backer. Always hated that stupid intro that she does with the whip. And, uh, Man, she she just she bites on feints. She doesn't have great head movement. She's kind of slow. Um, doesn't have the wrestling to get it to the ground. Where if she is on top, she can be a problem. But she just ain't got it. She's thirty eight years old. I think Carol Rosa um, is is gonna roll through her. It'll probably be a decision win. Um, but yeah, I I don't see very many ways that Betch is gonna find success here. Um, if she winds up on top for whatever reason, that's where she has the advantage. But I think everywhere else, Carol Rosa is gonna is gonna either piece her up or um, ride her out for three rounds. Our next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division, where we see Antonina Shevchenko taking on King Casey O'Neill. Antonina Shevchenko, you know, a lot of people are um, starting to jump on that train. I mean, a Shevchenko at a two to one underdog is, uh, you know, it sounds weird. Um, I do think that that line's a little bit wide, and I understand why people are playing it, um, but I do think that she's at a disadvantage here. You know, Shevchenko definitely has some holes in her game, and I think that it's mostly surrounded by her grappling. Um, she's 
got worked in her last fight against Andrea Lee. And it was tough to see because you thought that Shevchenko might have been, you know, making those changes to her game and um, rounding out her game. But at 36 years old, I do think that um, we're far less likely to see big changes, big jumps in her game. Um, and kind of what you see is what you get as far as her takedown defense, which is currently sitting at 50% right now in the UFC. Where she shines and where you can see like sparks of that Shevchenko bloodline is in her stand-up. She's an 11-time tie, Muay Thai world champion, uh, but she's a little weak. She, she doesn't handle pressure as well, and when grappling's involved, uh, her striking is definitely limited. Uh, in comes Casey O'Neill, who's undefeated in her professional career, 2-0 in the UFC, and is currently getting work out of the best gym that she's ever trained at in Extreme Couture. Um, originally, I was kind of an O'Neill hater. I knew that she was getting some favorable matchups with her dad being um, involved in the promotions that she was fighting for on the regional scene. But I do think that we're going to see tons and tons of improvements fight to fight from Casey O'Neill, where, you know, just because in that last fight with Laura Procopio, she got taken down a couple of times. I don't think that that's uh, indicative of how her career trajectory will be. Um, in the in the future you know one thing that she does have that um, you need in the UFC is great cardio and you saw her tough through a lot of situations in that Procopio fight um, she has good knees in the clinch she has good combos she doesn't move her head extremely well which is a little bit worrisome um, but I do think that she'll be able to overwhelm Shevchenko and kind of utilize her grappling to um, win this fight my lean is definitely Casey O'Neill, but I'm not taking her at, at two to one favorite odds. I'd much rather see that line continue to come down. I know a lot of people are on Shevchenko on MMA Twitter. So if that O'Neill line gets to, you know, like the minus 160 range, I might consider playing it. Uh, so right now, lean on Casey O'Neill, but uh, I understand why, why people are putting money on Shevchenko. We've got a great matchup in the lightweight division between Joe Selecki and Jared Flash Gordon. Joe Selecki is one of those guys who, since entering the UFC, hasn't been met with much resistance. He, he's training at a gym O with Brian Barberina and Scott Holtzman, but looks far better than both those guys, in my opinion. Um, he, he's fought guys like Matt Wyman, Austin Hubbard, and Jim Miller so far in the UFC, and as I said, kind of rolled. You know, when it gets to the ground, uh, he looks Khabib strong. I mean, uh, never at a place when it's on the ground calm in situations and um you can tell by his record he's got seven wins by submission and i definitely think that that's a possibility here you look at the jared gordon side um he's on a two fight win streak but in his last fight he missed weight by four pounds four pounds so you see him moving up to to lightweight against a guy in joe selecki who's huge and powerful and strong and I don't think that that's a great matchup for somebody like Jared Gordon. He's only ever fought two other grapplers in Charles Oliveira and Diego Fiera, and both of them knocked him out. I think that when Jared Gordon can't implement his own grappling game, um, he's a fish out of water, and I do think that Joe Selecki's going to be a little bit too much for him. On the feet, maybe he has an edge. I know he has good low kicks and... Um, you know, he's called Flash for a reason. He's got some quick hands, but I think that I think that Joe Selecki's got his number, and, and the line keeps on dropping. It seems like people are putting money on Gordon, but I'm willing to wait that line out and uh, play Selecki later on in the week. 
Our next fight takes place in the men's lightweight division where we see Alexander Hernandez taking on Mike Breeden. Alexander Hernandez, huge letdown since his entrance into the UFC. He got a debut win over Benil Darush, and I know a lot of people were pretty high on him. He got that Cerrone fight, and since then, he's pretty much dropped every big fight that he's been in. Um, His latest one to Tiago Moises, who's an excellent fighter, but uh, it's the same issues every single time with someone like Alexander Hernandez. He cannot fix that cardio, and it's always going to be a problem with him at five foot nine he's too small to go up to 170 but he's too fucking muscled up to stay at 155 so you know maybe he's going to continue to roll through guys like chris grutzmacher and mike breeden here but um until he fixes the cardio issues which i don't think he can um, i think we're going to be disappointed with him pretty much every single time that he steps up Um, now mike breeden he's training out of glory mma which I know a lot of people are big fans of. Um, he usually fights at welterweight, so he's not going to be small coming into this fight whatsoever. Although, even at welterweight, it wasn't like he was a, a big one by any means. He shouldn't be as big of a dog as he is, but um, he also will most likely lose this fight. Um, after watching tape, he's not exceptionally fast or powerful. Um, but he, most of his wins do come by KO. I just don't think it's to the, the level of competition as Alexander Hernandez. Um, I will say that Breeden definitely has the better cardio and has shown much more success in the later rounds than Hernandez. So the longer this fight goes, I think the more it'll start to lean towards Breeden. But um, I think Hernandez is on a different level, and we should probably see him roll here. Our next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division where we see Aspen Ladd taking on Macy Chieson. I'll keep this one kind of short and sweet. I think Aspen Ladd's the right side here. She has extremely powerful ground and pound, and when she gets on top of you, you're not getting back up. Um, you know, barring one of the, the Jermaine Durandame KOs, I don't see her losing this fight. She's facing somebody in Macy Chieson who's much taller, much easier to get in on the hips. Uh, much weaker, and uh, I could see it going very similarly to the Yana Kunitskaya fight that she just had. Uh, over on the Macy Chieson fight, she's coming out of a good camp in Fortis MMA, um, but this is easily her toughest fight to date, and I think, you know, she usually relies on being the bigger fighter and kind of overwhelming her opponents um, with exceptional knees to, to in the clinch which could definitely give Aspen Ladd some problems considering Aspen Ladd's size disadvantage here um, but damn I don't think she can stop the takedown um, like I said if something were to happen where Chieson finds success I gotta imagine that it's with those long punches that she throws um, she is you know exceptionally long for a woman and she does throw with some power so I could see it's women's bantamweight. Somebody, Lad could get catch. Like I'm not, I'm I'm not dumb, but uh, I gotta think that Lad's the right side here. Minus two fifty though, I probably won't be putting her in parlays. Um, again, it's a women's bantamweight fight. I don't think that I can trust it by the, by any means, but I, I do think that she's the side. Our next fight takes place in the middleweight division between Misha Serkinov versus Christoph Jocko. Serkinov really disappointed us in his last fight. We took him against Ryan Spann, and uh, he got finished in the first round. Didn't really make a good account of himself. Um, that being said, Misha says, shows flashes of greatness that make it to where you 
can't really fade that guy. I mean, he's got an incredible squeeze. He's choked out plenty of guys in the UFC, including Nikita Krylov, Ian Kutilaba, uh, Patrick Cummins, and Jim Crute. All pretty high-level guys, you know? As we saw in his last fight, he came in in excellent shape, and honestly, it looked like he was in middleweight shape coming into that light heavyweight fight, uh, judging by his Instagram, especially. Um, he kind of has rudimentary striking. It, it, it doesn't look the greatest, which is why he got caught by somebody like Span. Um, where Christoph Jocko, damn, I mean, kind of an up and down career. Definitely doesn't have any wins that impress me whatsoever. Um, I think his best win, you could call it, is the win over Eric Anders or the split over Marc-Andre Beirut. But um, Misha's, Misha's his toughest, toughest test to, or would be his biggest win to date by a long shot, in my opinion. Um, I do think that Jocko has the speed edge over somebody like Misha, but um, he'll likely get overpowered in these grappling situations. He, he is kind of small for the division, um, and I could see this fight going very similar to the Nikita Krylov fight with Misha Serkinov, where Serkinov is just able to overpower him in the grappling situations and kind of um, get the fight where he needs it to. I think that Jocko also has a better gas tank. So I'll give him one speed and two gas tank. So the longer this fight goes, I think that there might be a, a um, live betting opportunity on Jocko. But as it sits right now with Misha Serkinov being the underdog, I think that he is probably the play. Not that it's a heavy play at all, but I do think he's getting overlooked here. We've got an absolute banger coming up in the welterweight division between Nico Price and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. It's really easy to make comparisons between both these guys. Both of them have um, been in their fair share of wars and, and made a name for themselves by coming out on top of those. Um, they also really long uh, frames for the division, and it's allowed them opportunities for submissions like um, the Darce Choke and a couple more that, that allow, allow them to utilize their, re or their length. Nico, I just think, is at a different point in his career. Uh, you know, Cowboy Oliveira, he, he's still making mistakes that you'd hope that he had kind of fixed at, at 33 years old with the amount of damage that he's taken, but he's still throwing strikes with his chin straight up in the air. Um, when you take losses to guys like Yancey Medeiros, Mike Perry, Randy Brown, um, it's not a good look, you know? Uh I get that he's a legend, but I do think that he's a little overhyped when you look down his record. He really doesn't have many notable wins. I really like the straight right from Nico Price. I think that that's somewhere that he could catch Alex Oliveira and kind of start the sequence, the uh, a finishing sequence. Um, but like I said, I think I think Nico Price is at a different point in his career. It's gonna be an it's gonna be a dirty fight, but like, this is our this is our play of the night. And uh, I think Nico Price will show you that he's the rightful favorite. We've got a great matchup for the co-main event in the middleweight division where we see Kevin Holland taking on Kyle Dalkus. Kevin Holland's coming off of two pretty disappointing losses where he just laid on his back for 10 rounds straight. Um, he took on Derek Brunson first and made zero improvements to the Marvin Vittori fight. And it might just be a situation where Kevin Holland isn't a true 185er, and when he faces guys that have a grappling advantage and are a true 185er, he just doesn't have the strength to hang with them. We kind of see the same thing in, Chris, in uh, Kyle Daukas, where when he's fighting stronger grapplers, he just doesn't have anything to offer for him. Both these guys are six foot three. 
um, and they both keep a similar pace and kind of look to overwhelm their opponents or create scrambles where they can um, wind up in a dominant position. Um, both guys are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts, so I, I got to imagine that um, the scrambles are going to be crazy. But Kevin Holland has definitely seen the better competition, and I do slightly lean him. I know that Preston does as well, but it's just one of those ones where, yeah, we both lean Holland, but after those last two performances, it's really tough to want to back him. And it's just kind of a, a point where we're going to see how this one plays out so that we can uh, try and gauge future bets on Holland and Dalkus. Um, we think it'll be a, an excellent fight. Um, as far as the striking goes, I think that Dalkus has a much tighter boxing style of striking where Holland utilizes his reach more, utilizes more leg, uh, you know, uh, leg kicks that create distance and longer punches. Um, ultimately, I think I'm going to officially pick Holland, but like I said, we're going to lay off for the podcast. We move on to the main event in the light heavyweight division between two absolute brutes in Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Tiago Santos, known for his power, if nothing else, and Johnny Walker, kind of known to be chinny. I, I think this is one that uh, both P and I see going relatively the same. That first round TKO profit plus 450 for Tiago Santos is money, in my opinion. Um, Johnny Walker has zero patience, and that's not that's something that you have to have in a fight with Tiago Santos. Like we saw in the Rakic fight with Tiago Santos, you can't leave yourself exposed. Rakic played the perfect game plan, which was um, not leaving himself open for being connected with one of those Santos shots. Johnny Walker, on the other hand, if he finds any success, he'll rush at you with his hands down, and he just doesn't have the chin for it. You know, I've, I've seen clips of him getting knocked out four times in a fight, and I'll give it to him. He has the recovery time um, to, to wake right back up, but dude's chin is shot. And even though he's under 30 years old, he's fighting guys where um, that you know margin of error just just isn't isn't available anymore. You know, Tiago Santos is not one that's forgiving with his shots. Um, I think that the lead left hook of Tiago Santos is going to absolutely destroy Johnny Walker, just like uh, it did Glover San uh, Glover Deshera. I think that he's going to catch him with that lead left hook, and uh, Johnny Walker is going to be flatlined in the first round. Um, all that being said, I'm not I'm not stupid. Like I'm not overlooking Johnny Walker's athletic ability. I could I could also see him kind of come in there with like some jumping oblique kick and, and try and fuck up Santos's knees again. I just I don't have much hope for Johnny Walker's future, especially if he continues to fight the way that he fights. Um, he was lucky to get the finish in that Ryan Span fight, but he got caught uh, bad by by Span's lead left hook and um, kind of got lucky in my opinion. Uh, so. I think that Santos is the side here, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're at least taking the stab on that first-round TKO. That concludes this week's breakdowns for the Early Way In podcast. I did talk it over with Preston, and we are going to put the casual cap on the Antonina Shevchenko versus Casey O'Neill fight. He's got a lean for Shevchenko, so I was more than happy to take O'Neill in that spot. Um, that, that is it for it. We will be back next week, uh, the both of us, so we'll see you then. Thanks for watching. Peace.